Good morning, everybody. So glad to see you. I want to welcome all you folks who are joining us online. Grab a Bible and uh, turn to the Gospel of Luke and find the second chapter. Uh, find Luke chapter 2 and just hold that there for a minute. A couple things real quick. Uh, you just heard Johnette say that next weekend, on the weekend of December 26th and 27th, uh, we're going to be meeting online only. There won't be any in-person worship here at uh, our Mount Pleasant campus. A couple of our impact sites are going to be meeting in person, but we'll be meeting online only. I want to make sure that you know that's just a one-week thing. Uh, when we begin the new year, uh, we will be back in person for worship, and so uh, I just want to make sure that everybody understands that. Second thing, real quickly, you notice that I've put the tip jars out this weekend, and uh, the reason why uh, is because this past week, our elders at our elder meeting uh, invited Ajay and Indu Lal to join us on a Zoom call. And so at 8.30 our time, which was about 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning their time, they joined us, uh, and we spent about 35 or 45 or 40 minutes talking together uh, last Tuesday evening. Uh, there have been some really incredible things that have happened through the uh, outreach of Central India Christian Mission over the course of this pandemic. Of course, India is one of the darkest parts of the world in a lot of different ways, and it's one of the darkest parts of the world with regard to the coronavirus. And so that's opened the door for tremendous ministry to be done through Central India Christian Ministry. And so uh, after about uh, 20, 25 minutes of Ajay and Indu kind of updating us on all the things that they've done, I shared with you last week about how uh, during the fall semester, they would normally have about 200 students, in-person students for the Calvary International Biblical Academy, or SEBA as they call it. Uh, because they went online only, they had 6,100 students that were joining them, and they expect to have nine to 10,000 students next year. Uh, they've baptized about 25,000 people over the last three or four months. They've served so many thousands of people with food and just basic needs. Yeah, we can celebrate that. Incredible. Just absolutely incredible what's been happening there. And so toward the end of the meeting, I said to Ajay, tell us, uh, tell us three really big needs uh, right now in India and tell us what the price tag is, which is a little bit of a dangerous thing to do with uh, Ajay because he's always walking around with a $15 million to-do list in his pocket. And so he shared with us, number one, that uh, because of all of the new students in the Biblical Academy, uh, they represent 14 different languages. And so there's a great need to translate and publish the curriculum into 14 different languages. And that was going to cost, he estimated, about $70,000. Uh, because there's so much happening online in India, just like there is now, then some of their churches needed some technology upgrades, which he thought could be covered by about $25,000. And here's the big thing, uh, the hospital. Uh, which is something that we're really familiar with. Um, Ajay has told us before when he's been here that there's one hospital in the area where he lives that uh, ministers to 12 million people. Think about that for a moment. One hospital in a region where there are 12 million people. And uh, I've been to India multiple times. I know many of you have gone. You've seen that hospital. It's not very big. In fact, it's probably not as big as any of the buildings we have on our campus right here. And yet they do an incredible job. And so a few years ago, they began the building of a new hospital. Uh, I was there in uh, 2018 with my daughter, Tricia, uh, and uh, we went to the hospital and the structure was almost uh, complete, not, not fully, but almost complete. Well, now the structure is complete, but they need to furnish it. And uh, the cost to do that, Ajay estimated, was about 
$200,000. And so $200,000 plus $70,000 or $70,000 plus $25,000 is at $295,000. Well, we prayed with Ajay and Indu and then we ended our call and immediately our elders, because God has been so good to us at this church and blessed us by being debt-free because you have been so generous even during this difficult time of the coronavirus. Uh, we are in a good financial position, so we agreed unanimously that we would go ahead and send all the money for that. And so we rounded it up to $300,000, and we'll be making a year-end gift to CICM of $300,000, which is something we should celebrate, something we should really celebrate. The reason why I got the tip jars out is that... Um, if you're here today and you think that that's something that you'd like to participate in, we're sending the $300,000. It's already a done deal. But if you'd like to add to that, if the Lord has blessed you or you just feel on your heart to do uh, something with regard to that, you know what we do when we put the tip jars out. I just ask you at the end of the service, if you're so led to come down uh, and uh, drop some money in the tip jar. So I'll get started for this service. Uh, and uh, you can uh, do that uh, as the service ends today. If you're joining us online and you'd like to participate, then we've made this possible for you to do online. So all you have to do is uh, reach out to your online host or your campus, online campus pastor, and they can help you navigate that. But what a wonderful, wonderful thing. All right. We uh, are in the third week of a Christmas series called Once Upon a Time in Bethlehem. We began a couple of weeks ago by talking about the backstory of Bethlehem. And all that means is uh, when we think about the birth of Jesus, we think about the setting of Bethlehem, but we need to understand to be reminded that that's not where the story began. It began long before that. Then last week we came together, we talked about Mary and Joseph, certainly two central characters in the story of Bethlehem. And when we think about Mary and Joseph, oftentimes we think about the physical journey they made to Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth, about 80 miles north of Bethlehem. But when Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census be taken of the entire known world, they traveled that 80 miles to Bethlehem. We have that picture in our mind. But what we talked about last week is that really for Mary and Joseph, both of them, there was a journey before the journey. And that was a journey to complete surrender in their hearts. And the reason why God was able to use them as a part of the story of Bethlehem to be the earthly parents of Jesus is because they had already surrendered their hearts. Mary had already made a commitment that she was going to live as a servant of God. Joseph had already made the commitment that he was going to be a righteous man. And so that's the journey that all of us need to make at Christmas, a journey of complete surrender. Well, we're going to pick it up this weekend on this third weekend of the series, and uh, we're going to just look at some different familiar characters in the story of Bethlehem and see how all of them experienced Christmas, all of them experienced Bethlehem in a little bit of a different way. Have you ever noticed how you can be at the same event with other people or have the same experience that other people have, and yet you all come away with a different response? We're going to see that with regard to some of the characters, the familiar characters in the story of Bethlehem. So if you've got your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2 and you're able today, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. And I'm going to read uh, that familiar Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 1 and conclude in verse 20. You follow along. In those days, Caesar Augustus has issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. 
So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were, were just as they had been told. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask for God to bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a single word, just one single word, for some different characters in the story of Bethlehem to describe how they experienced Bethlehem. We're going to jump right in. If you'd like to take notes, write down next to number one, the word joy. Because the angels experienced Bethlehem with joy. Now, before we talk about that from the perspective of Luke chapter 2, I want to go back for just a moment and think about the personal encounter that both Mary and Joseph had with an angel for just a moment. In Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and he said in verse 28, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And then in Matthew chapter 1, an angel speaks to Joseph in a dream. This is Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. And he says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, here's why I reference those two passages before we talk about Luke chapter 2. Clearly, here's what I want us to understand. Clearly, the angels understood that what was happening in Bethlehem was something special that ultimately would change the course of human history. And so, just a few months after those appearances to Mary and to Joseph, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, an angel appeared to shepherds and announced that birth. That's Luke chapter 2 verses 10 through 12. And then, and I really love this part, after he made the announcement of that birth, Luke goes ahead to write, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace to men on whom his favor rests. And so here's what I want you to see. The angels experienced Bethlehem with joy because they knew, or maybe I should say because they understood that what was happening in Bethlehem that night was something incredibly special that would change the world. They knew that the birth of Jesus meant that God had kept his promise. And instead of giving up on the world because of sin, he sent his son into the world to offer all of us a new and a better life. And so here's a word of encouragement that I want to share to all of us 
all of us here, all of us who are watching online for this Christmas season, we need to find a way to experience Christmas with joy. You know, this is an important reminder in a normal year because it's easy for us to get bogged down even in a normal year with the details of Christmas, with the busyness of Christmas, so much so that sometimes Christmas feels more like a burden than it does a blessing. It's especially important for us to remember this example from the angels of experiencing Christmas with joy in this year because this year is so very difficult. It just feels like there's one black cloud that's hovering over us for the entire month of December that goes all the way back to the early part of the spring. This is a Christmas unlike any we have ever faced or experienced before. And so we need to be like the angels and we need to find a way to experience Christmas with joy because we're reminded that what happened in Bethlehem was an event that changed the world, that changed our world and can change the world for others. I was contacted a couple of weeks ago by a guy who writes articles for the Johnson County Journal, somebody that I've gotten to know over the years because he's written several articles about our church and he's written a couple of articles about me. And he was reaching out because he is writing a feature, uh, I believe, for this next weekend's uh, journal, uh, interviewing and talking to some different pastors about how or what Christmas means to them, especially in this difficult year. He just wanted a couple of hundred words so he could use the different uh, um, submissions to write an article. And I told him, when I think about Christmas, I think about hope. I don't know what you think about, but I think about hope. And I think about hope because God's people had been waiting for a long time for him to fulfill his promise of sending Messiah. And oftentimes they waited in really difficult circumstances. But Jesus' birth brought hope because it was the fulfillment of God's promise. I mean, we are living in a difficult time. It's been difficult for months, and I think we would be naive if we thought that it wasn't going to continue to be difficult, at least for a while, once the new year rolls around. But the Bible teaches us in a variety of different places and in a variety of different ways. I'm sorry, I don't have time to reference it today. But the Bible teaches us in a variety of different places, in a variety of different ways, one single truth, and that is that no trial lasts forever. Somebody say amen to that this morning. We know that's true. We know that's true from what the scriptures teach us, and we know that's true from the experience of our lives. No trial lasts forever. And so, we need to just focus on that promise from God and let Christmas, even in the midst of the difficulty surrounding us, be a time of joy for all of us. This is one of the most important things that Christmas teaches us. Let's be like the angels and experience Christmas with joy. Let's find a way. A second word that I want to give you today that I want you to write down somewhere is the word wonder. Because Mary experienced Bethlehem with wonder. We just read the story there in Luke chapter 2, and part of the story tells us about how the angels, or excuse me, how the shepherds heard the message from the angels about the birth of Jesus and then decided to go to Bethlehem to see Jesus for themselves. And when they left, they went away spreading the news about Jesus. We're going to talk about that when we get to the shepherds a little bit later in the message. But then we come to this single verse in Luke chapter 2. It's Luke 2 and verse 19 that says this about Mary. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary experienced Bethlehem with wonder. 
I don't think there's any way for us to be able to understand what Mary has been through over the course of the last nine months, let alone the events of that particular evening. Evening, It had to have felt to her like a whirlwind. There was the visit from Gabriel. Then there was her visit to her relative Elizabeth. There was the breaking of the news of her pregnancy to Joseph, the rest of her family. There was the journey to Bethlehem. There was no room in the inn. There was taking shelter in a stable or a cave, whatever it might have been. There was giving birth to her first child, a son who just so happened to be the son of God. And on top of that, a group of shepherds that they had never seen or met before show up with their own message of having an experience with an angel. But even in the midst of all that was happening, Mary found a way. She found the time to pause, to kind of push the pause button on the evening and think about all the things that had happened, all the things that God had done for her, all the things that God had for her to do. And I think she thought about it with wonder. And so here's a second word of encouragement to all of us in this Christmas season. We all need to find some time in this Christmas season to do what Mary did. Even though there's a lot of busyness surrounding us, we need to push the pause button and we need to think about Jesus. We need to think about Jesus. And we need to think about him in as personal a way as possible. We need to think about what he means to us. We need to think about what he's done for us. We need to think about how Jesus has changed our lives. We need to get up close and personal with Jesus. I don't know that anybody will remember this, but last year at Christmas and our Christmas um, theme last year was Vintage Christmas. And one of those messages last year, I gave the challenge that in the coming year, we ought to spend time reading through all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I know that reading through the Bible in a single year is a daunting uh, challenge or thought for a lot of people. So let's just make it simple. Let's just read through the Gospels in 2020, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, I don't know if anybody besides one person did that or not, but I know one person did. You probably noticed the woman who is often on stage playing the piano, the blonde-headed woman. Her name is Chrislyn. Longtime friends of Brian and Kim Tabor, such a sweet woman. I wish everybody could get to know her. But she sent me the sweetest note a couple of weeks ago that said that in 2020, she read through the Gospels. When I issued that challenge, I said, if you'll read through the Gospels, I guarantee you this will happen. You'll know, you'll learn more about Jesus and feel like you know him better than ever before, even if you spent your entire life in church. And so she sent me the sweetest note that said, that's exactly what happened. I feel like I know more about Jesus than I ever knew before. And then she went on to talk about some other incredible blessings that came into her life as a result of reading through the Gospels. We need to pause in this Christmas season like Mary and with a sense of wonder think about Jesus in a personal way, about how we came to know Jesus, when we first heard the story of Jesus, how Jesus has encouraged us, how he's carried us. We need to think about Jesus. And just in case you have a difficult time getting started, then maybe this would be a place to start. Maybe sometime in the Christmas season you pause and you think about the truth that Jesus is the single greatest expression of the love of God that there ever has been and that there ever will be. I'm sure most of us are familiar with these words from Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 when the Apostle Paul writes and says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But Christ would have never been able to die for us if he'd never been born in Bethlehem. And so let's make a commitment together 
that we're going to find a way to pause in the busyness of the season and in the discouragement and the trouble of the season. And we're going to think about Jesus in a most personal way. Let me give you a third word. Write down the word journey. The Magi experienced Bethlehem as a journey. The Magi experienced Bethlehem as a journey. In the first message from this series, the backstory of Bethlehem, we talked about how sometime before the birth of Jesus, over a thousand miles away in the east, a group of eastern philosophers that are known as the Magi, while they were studying the stars, because that's one of the things that they did, somehow got a message from the celestial constellations that there was a king that was going to be born, but not just any king, the greatest king in the history of the world. And when that happened, they did the only thing they knew to do. They packed up a caravan and began to travel following the star. They began to make their way toward Jerusalem. How long did they travel? No one can say for sure. No one knows for sure. At the very least, it was probably several months. Well, you know in the biblical story that ultimately they found Jesus. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11 says, and take note of how this verse begins with regard to the Magi and their experience at Bethlehem. On coming to the house, not the stable, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened up, or excuse me, opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. So we understand that the Magi weren't present on the night that Jesus was born. Even in our backdrop here today, we see the manger and we see the shepherds on the left and we see the Magi on the right. I have a, Sandy and I have a beautiful olive wood nativity scene in our home that we bought in Bethlehem in 2014 on a trip to the Holy Land. And we put it out every year. It's one of our favorite Christmas decorations. And it shows the wise men, the Magi at the manger. That's Certainly not the way it happened. They certainly weren't there. They didn't find Jesus until sometime after his birth. Remember, Matthew 2.11 says, they came to the house, not the stable. I don't think God's going to put me on probation for a couple of months when I get to heaven because I got the magi at the, nativity, at the manger in my nativity scene. I'm sure many of you have the same. Don't worry about that. At the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal. So rather than stressing out about the details of when the Magi actually saw Jesus or the other details that can sometimes get in the way of Christmas, what would happen if, again, we found a way to just pause and think about the truth that for all of us, the Christian life is a journey. For all of us, becoming like Christ, meeting Christ, and then Becoming like Christ, which is the will of God for all of us, is a journey. Seeking Jesus is a journey. It's a journey of worshiping him. It's a journey of surrendering to him. And on and on and on. There's an old, old Christmas song. It doesn't have a very catchy title, but you're probably familiar with it, at least many of you. It's called In the Bleak Midwinter. That's just the theme of winter in central Indiana to me, heavy on the word bleak, but in the bleak midwinter. And there's a line toward the end that simply says this, what can I give him poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? I give him, give him my heart. And maybe some of us in particular, I mean, all of us certainly need to do this, but maybe some of us in particular need to find a way to stop 
in this Christmas season and ask ourselves, what am I really seeking with my life? What is the journey of my life really reflecting about the commitments of my heart? Where am I at in the journey of seeking Jesus, in the journey of becoming more and more like him with every passing day? Let me give you a fourth word. The fourth word is the word threat because Herod experienced Bethlehem as a threat. When the Magi came to Jerusalem as they were following the star, they asked this question, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. That's Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Matthew chapter 2 and verse 3 goes on to say, when, Her when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And he was disturbed, we know, because of the implications of the question. He was the king of the Jews. And he didn't have any interest in hearing about someone else who was born ultimately to be the king of the Jews because he didn't have any interest in yielding that title to anyone for any reason. And so... Ultimately, and sadly, we know that because Herod saw Jesus as a threat, that he ended up ordering his soldiers to kill every baby boy in and around Bethlehem who was under the age of two. How horrific must that have been? Uh, most Bible commentators speculate that there were probably around 1,000 people living in the tiny town, the village of Bethlehem, the time of Jesus' birth. When you take those 1,000 people and you add in the surrounding areas, it was more than just a few. How awful that must have been. And Herod should have never taken that step because he should have never viewed Jesus as a threat because Jesus didn't have any interest in Herod's throne. The only thing Jesus was interested in when it came to Herod was his heart because we know from the Scriptures that Jesus pursues the hearts of all men everywhere. But Herod's not the only person who ever lived that saw Jesus as a threat. You know, I've met a lot of people over the years who have seen Jesus as a threat because Jesus is no longer a baby in a manger. He's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords and he asks for our hearts. He asks for everything and that's threatening to a lot of people. Over the past 40 plus years of ministry, I've met a lot of people in every church that I've ever served who have come to church and they've been drawn to Jesus. They've been intrigued by Jesus and they come week after week to hear a message about Jesus, to learn more about Jesus. And yet ultimately they all, or many of them end up walking away because when you come to the part where Jesus says, I want everything, I want your heart and everything, I want your full devotion, that's just too much for them. Jesus becomes a threat at that moment. And no matter how much they were intrigued or how, how strongly their heart is drawn to Christ, they end up walking away because they can't let him be the Lord of their life, the boss of their life. They have to retain control. I mean, I think anybody who is a Christian, anybody here today or listening to me online who is a Christian would have to be honest and say that there are moments in all of our lives where we feel the tension inside between surrender to Christ and a desire to lead our own lives and make our own decisions. Every single day that we live, there's a war that goes inside of us over who will be in control of our lives. And that's the case even for people who've been Christians for years and years and years. 
Sometimes we make the right choice and we become like the Magi who bow down and worship Jesus when they saw him, who gave him their gifts. But other times we become like Herod and we see Jesus as a threat. I'm always intrigued by these words from Jesus and I'm always intrigued by the way it's written in Luke's gospel. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And I'm always intrigued by the way it's recorded in Luke's gospel because he says, and take up his cross daily, daily. That's Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Every single day we live, we're faced with the decision of whether Jesus is going to be the Lord of our lives or he's going to be a threat to our lives. That means every day we need to say, I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus. In fact, would you say that with me this morning? I choose Jesus every day. We've got to find a way to say that. Maybe the best thing we can do in this Christmas is make the commitment from now on, moving forward in our lives. That's exactly what we'll do. We'll say each and every day, I choose Jesus. I've got one last word. Write down the word personally. Because the shepherds experienced Bethlehem personally. One of the most significant things we read in Luke chapter 2 is that after the shepherds heard from the angels about the birth of Jesus and after they went to see him for themselves, they left and began to spread the word about Jesus. Luke 2 verses 17 and 18 say, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And then if you skip down to Luke chapter 2 and verse 20, it says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I love what I read about the shepherds this past week when I was putting this message together. These poor shepherd boys had no gifts to share. They could only share their experience. They could only share the story. They could only share their joy and amazement. And in doing so, they spread it to others. There are, there are times when we can get too preoccupied with the trappings of Christmas. There are times we get too preoccupied with the giving of gifts, for example. I'll go on record and confess that sometimes I can get too preoccupied with the giving of gifts. I'm real detail-oriented when it comes to Christmas. I keep lists. I have dollar amounts. I will make sure that all my grandkids get the same amount of gifts and on and on and on. I'm probably not alone in that. There can even be times when we wish we could give more, bigger, better, more expensive presents and on and on and on. And one of the reasons why those things happen is because we sometimes think at Christmas that gifts, tangible gifts, they're the only thing we have to give, but that's not true. We need to learn from the shepherds and remember that the greatest gift we can ever give anyone is the presence and the truth about Jesus, and we give that gift, or we have the ability to give that gift every day with our attitudes, with our words, with our lives, the testimony of our lives. There are a lot of hurting and discouraged people around us this year. I'm talking to a lot of hurting and discouraged people, it seems like every single day, probably more than any other Christmas that I can even remember. Let's make sure that the presence of Christ in our lives, the hope and the joy and the peace and the certainty we feel in life because of the presence of Christ in our lives, 
what he's done for us. Let's remember that's the most important gift we can ever give to anyone. The greatest gift you will ever receive is the presence of Christ in your life, and the greatest gift you will ever give is the presence of Christ in your life that's demonstrated to others. So how are you going to experience Christmas this year? How am I? We need to experience it with joy like the angels did. We need to experience it with wonder like Mary did, thinking about Jesus. We need to experience it as a journey like the Magi did. We need to make sure that our lives reflect an everyday journey to a deeper knowledge and a deeper understanding and a deeper commitment to Jesus. We need to experience it as surrender to the lordship of Jesus, unlike Herod. And we need to experience on a personal level, as personal as possible, so that the reality of Jesus overflows from our lives every single day to the people that are around us, whether they're the people that are closest to us or people that we are meeting for the very first time. We need to experience Christmas not just as a holiday, but as that moment that changed the course of human history, that moment that ultimately changed your life and mine. That's how we need to experience Christmas.